Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. July 19th, 1963. Not knowing your identity leaves a disconsolate, empty, pervading feeling that rips the soul. He sprinted toward a foggy glow that drew him forward as a powerful wind whipped back his hair. His eyes watered. More shots now popped in rapid succession, but the fog and the fields within the tunnel somehow diverted the bullets. Why were they shooting at him? A vague form followed him on the grid behind. Then he heard someone bellowing his name and another person screaming, don't get trapped. He fought against the onslaught, but another force brought his body upward like a plane, gaining lift. The ranting gave way to a cold, howling wind and light flashes. His stomach grew queasy as his body flew into the brightness. Light faded to dark, and a painful clashing hurt his ears as he was dragged into the thickening clouds of a swirling gaseous wave. A consistent revving blast like the acceleration of a rocket launcher on a desert track decreased in intensity as the mist slowly parted. He lay on a rocky slab overlooking an arched bridge in twilight. A wide waterfall cascaded through a concrete arch and formed a less ominous waterway below. He sat up under a few twinkling stars in the ink blue sky. A slight amber glow traced the horizon over the mountain trees. In the murkiness, the river crashed over the rocks into rivulets below. He sensed someone had chased him through a wild storm, but he didn't even know who was after him nor could he recollect how he even got here. Even worse, he could not even say his own name or recall anything about the past. Silhouetted city buildings and incandescent lights shining in faceless windows formed a bright rim beyond the concrete bridge. A few slow-moving bulky cars chugged across the bridge. More prominent was a dark brick structure with a sign illuminated with green letters on the roof. Washington Water Power state of Washington, he said, running his fingers on his light green jumpsuit. Where did I get this outfit? He pivoted on the cliffs and crawled up the surrounding fir tree slopes. The deafening falls followed him to the top where the bridge rail met the dirt road shoulder. He vaulted the rail onto the asphalt. His first inclination was to run across the bridge. An old two-tone blue rambler shifted by him as he trotted high above the river. Why can't I remember anything, he yelled, competing with the roar of the falls. He neared the brick power building but kept running. As he rounded the corner, he shouted out the name of the black and white street sign. West Spokane Falls Boulevard. I'm in Spokane, Washington. Okay, so what? West Spokane Falls Boulevard curved left. He pivoted onto West Sprague Avenue. He shook his head and made guttural noises in frustration as he tried to remember how he got to Spokane. He slowed up ahead at a looming bulky box of a building. He looked at the theater marquee. Steve McQueen, James Garner, The Great Escape. A green Chevy with a long trunk and a toffee-colored Ford Fairline passed him on West Sprague Ave. He paced at the traffic light and looked down behind him. Someone had been chasing him. He was sure of it. The young woman in a red uniform pushed back a mass of auburn hair as she watched him from the glow of a ticket booth window. He again checked behind him toward the bridge in the falls below. 
He then broke into a full sprint away from the theater. For blocks, he passed under tall globe street lamps, a blur of neon signs and well-lit storefronts. He fought to recall anything about himself and where he had come from. Near a pink neon drugstore sign and an RX symbol, he clutched onto the metal light pole. This is insane, he yelled, and several people near the drugstore turned. Why am I here? Hey, you all right, pal? Asked a man in a white shirt and tie. A neon sign for Union Station glowed at the end of the busy street. Maybe hopping a train would get him away from whoever was after him. Across the street, bright white digits on the bank brightened in the night. 8 p.m. Large Finn cars confounded him, yet somehow it all made sense to him. But he just did not know why. He thought about heading toward the hotel ahead, but instead reversed himself down the sidewalk. Ten minutes later, he was back at the square white building, housing the Fox Theater. He breathed heavily and gripped a mailbox. The sunshine glow flared across the thin clouds above the darkened city buildings. A guy and his girl in a red and white Ford from the 1950s pulled up to the lights. Surf City, sung by Jan and Dean, rocked out of the open car window. He staggered and leaned against the silver light pole. The dark-haired woman in the ticket booth occasionally looked up from the book she was reading. He removed a folded piece of paper from his pocket. A photo of Dodger Stadium and a note below confused him. Contact information. Johnny Roselli, July 1963. Pittsburgh Pirates versus the Los Angeles Dodgers, July 25, 1963, Dodger Stadium. Find him. You know the rest. He shook his head. He studied the man with a cocky grin. Who was Johnny Roselli? Who wrote this? He folded the photo and placed it back in his pocket. This was not his time period. What had happened before he lay on the rocks above the river? The woman in a red uniform, maybe in her late 20s, smiled at him and then went back to reading her book. The gold tag on her blazer had a name in black letters. Sherry. He inhaled again and then walked toward her away from the crosswalk. She pushed her hair back and smiled again, but her smile quickly collapsed. Can I help you, sir? She said through the rounded ticket opening in the glass. Then she tilted her head. Boy, do you look lost. She looked down at the book cover of someone drawing a coat of arms with a blue pencil. Then she bookmarked her place with a foil piece of juicy fruit gum. Ian Fleming, James Bond, at least I remember him. He just started it tonight. She had a smooth, almost melodic voice. Bond is resigning. He doesn't get himself killed first. Huh? She leaned forward and folded her hands. Her nails were unpainted, but she wore a lip frost. She smiled and produced a British accent. Well, if I cannot find Blowfield, my dear M, I do believe I must resign. He surveyed the inside of the lobby. Oh, he'll find Blowfield. And how do you know this, Mr. Know-it-all? I read the book, but I can't remember where I read it. I can't remember when I read it. What? She looked him over with more than just a cursory glance. I suppose you want to buy a ticket. I would if I had the money. The Great Escape was a good movie. Was? She straightened up, her white acrylic sweater accentuating her breasts. You must have already seen it. What was that? She had a slight smirk. 
Then she called out and cupped her hand as if he were hard of hearing. I said, you must really like the movie if you've already seen it. He pretended to smile as he looked at the booth's tiny calendar. How had he ended up in July of 1963? What day of July is it? July 19th. You have no money. You're wearing a jumpsuit. Did you escape from Walla Walla? He shook his head. I don't think so. She stood, opened the rear door, and walked around the booth. Her frame was slender and her legs long. He figured she was around five foot eight. She looked him up and down. My name is Sherry Thomas, she said, extending her hand. Her skin was smooth and warm. She wore a fresh scent. And you, Mr. Know-it-all. You want my opinion? He faked a smile. No, you're a government agent. He pressed his lips and shook his head because he remembered nothing about his life. I think you've read too many Bond books. Maybe, that's how I know. Now, Miss Thomas, you sound as if you're one of my students. What do you teach? I used to teach history, current affairs, and drama. I'm taking some time off. And it's Sherry. Sherry. He kept her eyes locked on him. You look a little old to be a ticket girl. Ticket girl, she cackled. I've worked here since I was a freshman in high school. And I always work here during summer vacations, Mr. Know-it-all. And I'm taking courses for my master's degree. He liked her when he had no business liking anyone with his blank memory. Where do you go to school? Gonzaga University, right here in the city. Godzilla University. Oh, so you're a comedian, too. Gonzaga University is a fine Jesuit school. Can I get inside, Cherry? She seemed to like him calling her name. If you have a dollar, she unfolded the palm of her hand. Plus, the movie's almost over. You'd only catch the last half. I'm afraid I don't have any money. I just need to get into the theater for a few minutes. Sherry put her hand on her hip and her brow furrowed. Let me get this straight. You have no money, you don't know your name, and you're dressed like some mental patient. Or prisoner. Right, right. So what's the problem? The problem is I could get fired. She swung her hips as she returned to the booth. He moved up to the window and placed his hands on the edge. What if I told you I fear for my life and need to get inside? She turned the bond book over, leaned forward and stared into his eyes. You're serious, aren't you? I don't know how I got to Spokane. I ought to have my head examined. She ripped a green ticket off the ticket roll. He could see she enjoyed her little performance as she slid the ticket toward him. She put her hand on his. One condition. What's that? You meet me outside here when you leave. Then she held up the book. I love spy novels. I'll catch you on the way out, he said, pulling out the ticket. If anyone's looking for me, I'm not here. Then he turned and snapped his finger. Moon. His name was Moon. I remember that. Oh, great. The man in the moon. He shrugged his shoulders and she smiled. You do have a problem. Once in the air-conditioned building, amidst the smell of freshly butted popcorn, he crossed the soft, flowery carpet. He handed his ticket to a bow-tied man in a blue suit with yellow buttons. Another man in an identical uniform escorted him up the staircase to the second floor. He opened the theater door. A sloping balcony overlooked ornate Art Deco columns down the front. A man pointed a flashlight at the front seat and disappeared up the aisle. For the longest time, he closed his eyes and his heart beat out of control. A racing motorcycle on the screen broke his light sleep. He sat near the edge and leaned forward. 
There had to be a way to reason his way out of the situation, even if he knew nothing. Somebody had hypnotized him into forgetting major portions of his life, including his name. In the chilly air, he removed the folded photograph. The movie light illuminated this Johnny Rosselli smiling face at a Los Angeles game that was six days in the future. A soft fragrance mixed with juicy fruit preceded a hand on his shoulder as he turned. So, what's new? Sherry whispered. Want some gum? No, thank you. I thought you were working the ticket booth. Movie's basically done. So did you figure out who you are yet? No. Did Bond bail Tracy out of the casino? She squeezed his wrist. As a matter of fact, he did. You can remember Casino Royale, but you don't remember your own name. Nifty. Nifty? Then he fully turned. You're taking an inordinate interest in a total stranger. Hey, heck, a guy runs by me in a jumpsuit and then comes back and says he has no idea who he is. It's like being in the novel. I suppose so. Then her dark eyes opened so he could see the whites. How can you not know who you are? I think you just don't want to tell me. You like puzzles? She leaned on her folded hands on the back of the chair. Okay, what's the puzzle? He handed the Rosselli photo to her and positioned it so the movie light would make it visible. Contact information. Johnny Rosselli. July 1963, Pittsburgh Pirates versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. July 25th, 1963, Dodger Stadium. Find him, you know the rest. She stared for a second. How can this game between the Dodgers and the Pirates be photographed? It hasn't happened yet, they both said together. The lady in the front seat turned abruptly. Shh! And whoever wrote this wants you to meet this Rosselli, she whispered. Contact him. You know the rest. Well, do you know the rest? That's the problem. I don't know anything about this. Then you'll have to ask Rosselli. The photo must be from another game. Maybe there's a scoreboard, but that's all irrelevant. Why am I in Spokane? You're asking me? Yeah. She lifted her palm against her bangs. This is the strangest thing I've ever heard of. Sorry. He shook his head again. I'm thinking somebody doesn't want me to remember. In the words of Gomer Pyle, golly. Gomer Pyle? Come on, man with no name, she said, motioning him with her head. When they were on the mezzanine, he looked at her paperback. Did it ever occur to you, Miss Thomas, that whatever I'm involved in might not be safe? She produced the same perfect tooth smile. Of course. My car is parked out back. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.